Grant them eternal rest, O Lord, and let light perpetual shine upon them. Amen. Good morning. Today we are celebrating what is commonly known as a Requiem Mass. We don't do this every Sunday, by the way, if you're visiting. Uh, and the word Requiem comes from the opening words of the service in Latin, Requiem Eternum, Lord, grant them rest. Grant them eternal rest, those who have died, the faithful departed. It's an old form of prayer, actually, and it can be used at a funeral for someone who's actually died. In fact, at a proper Requiem, you may not know this, you have something called a catafact, which is a casket there that's empty, symbolizing those who have died. We didn't do that this year, maybe next year. But a, a, a requiem mass is actually a, a mass where you pray for those who have died, whether an individual person or a head of state, for example, or as we're doing today, all the faithful departed. Interestingly, the uh, requiem setting we are doing today by, or that the choir and uh, orchestra are leading us today is a uh, setting by the, a guy by the name of Cherubini, who, is a, who wrote this requiem for the funeral, sorry, in remembrance of King Louis XVI of France. So this is a big deal. And you guys, this is, sounds amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, you may not know this, Carabini was actually one of the uh, revolutionaries involved in the uh, situation that removed Henry's head from his body. He was a supporter of those, but then when the monarch was restored later on, 30 or 40 years later after Napoleon was dead and the French monarch was restored and it was okay to pray for the king, well, guess who showed up to take the cash to write a requiem? Carabini. But here's the question I want to pose to you this morning, and it's a, an important one. Why do we pray for the dead in the first place? I mean, let me, let's think about that. And I'm not going to preach long today because the liturgy covers itself. Uh, but let's just think about this for a moment. Why do we pray for the dead? I mean, the bigger question is why do we pray for anything at all? I'll get to that in a second. But before we dive into that question, let me just say this explicitly and point blank. When we pray for the dead, what we are not doing is praying people into heaven. We are not praying to push somebody across the finish line, somebody who's died, and we're not quite sure if old Joe made it, but if you loft a few prayers, maybe you can push him over into the, uh, into the right side of history. That's not what we are doing. That is a medieval corruption of a requiem mass. You cannot pray for some, you cannot pray someone into heaven. And the reason is because the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient. The cross of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, in my place and in yours, is sufficient. You don't need to do anything. The cross pays for all the sins of humanity, your sins, my sins, those who have died, who call on him as their Lord and Savior. So there's nothing we can do to save somebody who has chosen to walk away. Because Jesus' death on the cross is, listen, sufficient for all human sin, for those who call upon him as their Lord and Savior. That is the gospel. Euangelion, the good news, the free gift that Jesus gives us, frankly, to die in our place, to pay for our sins, to save us from hell, literally, by paying for our sins himself. It's a pretty good deal. It's better than BOGO red wine at Publix. A little levity in a requiem is not a bad thing, by the way. 
The offer that Jesus gives us is an interesting paradox. It costs you nothing. You cannot earn it, and you don't deserve it. It costs you nothing, but it also costs you everything. Because to claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior means he saves you, and he is your Lord. You put him front and center. Everything takes second place to him. In that sense, it costs you your life. Not physically, though maybe. But it certainly costs you living the way you used to live to the way you live now. With Jesus at the center, we are no longer the king of your own life, but Jesus Christ is your Lord. And frankly, most people hear this, if they hear it at all, and if they don't, shame on the church. For most people, they hear this offer of the grace of Jesus Christ to save them, and the resounding answer is, no thanks. The resounding answer is, you know, Lord, if they even consider the question. For most people, the answer is, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Thanks, but frankly, no thanks. And friends, listen, here's the deal. I'm a straight shooter. The choice is theirs. The choice is yours to accept the free gift of God's grace or to reject it. So each of us, every single person in this room, every single person you know, every single person in history must decide this question on their own. It is the most important question you will ever ask yourself. It is the entire purpose of life. Is Christ, is Jesus my Lord or am I my Lord? Is Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior or is something else. It is the most important question you will ever ask. And so, friends, what we are not doing this morning is praying for the salvation, the justification of those who have died. That moment was finalized at the moment of their death by their decision, just like it will be for you and for me. So what we're not doing, this is an argument ad negativa, what we're not doing is praying people across the finish line. We are not praying people into heaven. Well, then what on earth are we doing, Father Rodriguez? What is the deal? Why do we pray for the dead at all? Well, it's interesting. The church has done this since the second century, continually. This record of the church praying for those who have died from the very beginning of church history. But the bigger question is this, and it's a biggie. Why do you pray for anything at all. I don't care what it is. Why do you pray for, I don't know, a pony <laughs> or a new house or a petitionary prayer, I mean, when you ask God for something? Why do you ask for God, anything from God at all? It's a very, very good question because Scripture says two things. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And the Lord knows what you need before you ask. Pray without ceasing, and the Lord knows what you need before you ask. So why pray for anything at all? It's a big question. Here's the answer. Because petitionary prayer, Lord, please save my daughter. Lord, please save my wife. Lord, please make this sermon not go too long. I've got a lunch at noon. Whatever it is. Whatever your prayer request is, what it actually is doing, listen, is taking the control away, acknowledging the control is no longer in your hands, but in his. God, I cannot do this. I've tried, and no matter how hard I try, I fail. I cannot do this, Lord, and I'm turning this over to you. Lord, help me. That 
is the root, friends, of all prayer for the living and for the dead. Petitionary prayer in all its forms, like we're doing today, whether you pray for your spouse or your kids or yourself, whether you pray for your job or your finances or whatever is bugging you right now, everybody's got something. What you're really doing in all forms of prayer is giving that control to God and relying upon him to solve it, which is why a requiem is so important. Because what it admits to all of us in this room today is two things, that life is short and life is transient, and that fundamentally, death itself is beyond your control and mine. There's an old saying that there's only two things in life that are definite, death and taxes, right? It's not true. Ask Willie Nelson. The only thing definite in life is that someday you will be dead, and so will I. And I don't mean that morbidly. If that sounds morbid to you, then I want you to rethink that. Because it's true. And the church deals with truth. We deal with reality. Not putting your head in the sand. That will do nothing to serve you. That someday, friends, you and I will face death first person. And we've got to be ready. But the thing is, for the Christians, for Christians, we don't fear death. Because we know that death is not the end, you see. Christians rely upon one critical thing. That death is not the end because Jesus Christ has died on the cross for us and restored us to life with, with God, but also has resurrected from the dead. And Scripture says that when he returns to set the world to rights, the dead shall be resurrected. And we will worship with them together in heaven, which, by the way, is a physical place. Are there any harpists over here? No. Good. Because I like harpists, but on Easter last year I said, we, heaven is not floating in a cloud playing a harp all day long. How boring would that be? And it made the harpist mad. So anyway, it's not easy to make a harpist mad. I'll tell you that. But just hear me, right? A lot of Christians don't even know this. The Bible says that heaven is a physical place, a real place, a reconstituted Eden, where we and they will gather together before the throne of God and worship him for all eternity. So friends, what we are doing today is thanking God for our friends, our parents, our children, whom we've lost. We are commending them to Almighty God, giving them back to him from whence they came. But we are also worshiping here with them. We worship, we will say it in the Sanctus later on, Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we pray together with those who are dead. Because guess what? They're not dead. They are alive with Christ and will be with us again in heaven when he returns. And if you say that's far-fetched, well, that's what Jesus tells us. Either he tells us the truth or he lies. If he tells the truth, then it's true. So friends, I want to give you this as I wrap up today. Consider these things. Consider that life is short. Be clear on where your priorities lie. If you are not a Christian, investigate it. Look into it. Come back next week. Because Christ assures us that when he returns, the dead shall be raised, and all those relied upon him to save them, he will. 
And we will be with him in a new, reconstituted Eden where there will be no sickness and no death and no suffering, where God will literally wipe away every tear from every eye. So friends, a requiem is essentially, despite the black vestments and the somber mood, it's really about one word, and that's hope. Of reorienting our focus, not on this world, but on the world to come. Of living life with one foot in this world and one foot in the world to come. This life is a preparation for that, after all. And it does us good to stop and consider where we are now. Will we rebel against God and turn away from him? Or will we live with him in a new reconstituted Eden? Where Jesus' promise to us is fulfilled. Where he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Where the dead shall be raised. And we shall worship him for eternity together, physically, in heaven, in glory. Shall we pray, Father, we thank you for all the faithful departed, for those whose lives have touched us, for those whose lives, those whom we love and we see no more. Lord, we pray for them today, thanking you for their lives, thanking you for reminding us that life is short, to be clear on our priorities, focusing, Lord, on the joy of the resurrection and Christ's return. And for that we wait with longing, with hope, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.